Bob Sturm joins the podcast once again to talk Mike McCarthy, Dallas Cowboys free agency, and what the Mavericks should do at the trade deadline. Hello there. And welcome to another episode of Metroplex Mania. As always, I'm your host, Shanavaz Makani. Metroplex Mania is brought to you by the Blue Wire Hustle Podcast Network. I'm joined once again by the co-host of The Hardline on 1310 AM 96.7 FM, The Ticket, Mr. Bob Sturm. Bob, how are you, my friend? I am doing fantastic. I, uh, I'm a little, little angry. I saw you were in Lubbock last night and talking about, you know, tweeting about the, uh, the tech and, and UT game. And as you know, I'm a, I'm a former Longhorn. So a little upset that you had a lot of fun at that game, sadly. Well, I, I, no, I, I must correct you. I, I was only, uh, there in spirit. I was, uh, by the, by the channel and I had some friends there. So it might, I might've, uh, looked online like I was actually there, but I was just passing along uh, my, my, my buddy stuff. So I, I was merely on my couch, sir. There you go. I mean, good game for tech fans. Not, uh, not so much for, for us Longhorns. Well, I'll, I'll be honest. Any, anything that can make me care about college basketball on February 1st is, uh, is, is, is a big deal. So, uh, so props to uh, the storyline writers, because uh, that, that was a good one. Yeah. They, uh, they did a good job of, propping that game up as something more than it probably needed to be. I mean, you know, early February, like you said, early February games, early big 12 kind of, you know, match up there. We don't really look at basketball towards till the end of February into the tournament right. and then anything can happen. Right. So, sure. um, yeah, well, we'll get right into it, man. I mean, I know last time we, we talked last time I had you on the, on the episode, um, you know, I think it was right after the Cowboys and, and the Patriots played and we were kind of looking at, what the ceiling for this team was and, and, you know, is, you know, going into January was Arizona kind of that one tough matchup that's really going to dictate um, what happens with, with this season. Um, and before we get into my thoughts on that, I wanted to know from your perspective, um, is there more disappointment now seeing how poorly Jimmy Garoppolo played against the Rams as a Cowboys fan? I mean, are you, are you sitting there like, we would have had a better shot or Dak wouldn't have maybe made those same mistakes that Jimmy Garoppolo made. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's all, it's all degrees of disappointment, right? Because 14 teams go to the playoffs. I say this quite a bit, but I, I don't know if I could stress it enough when you have 14 teams that go to the playoffs and, and 13 that, uh, that go home sad. Uh, it's, it's all degrees of expectations and, and meeting those. And obviously the Cowboys didn't come close on that front this year. I don't know if it makes anyone feel better that in Kansas city, Andy Reed and Patrick Mahomes are both being looked at right now. Like what the heck, mm -hmm. how do we lose to that team in that situation? It makes no sense. We have wasted a chance of a lifetime. And then over in San Francisco, when they have a chance to go for it on fourth down with the Super Bowl on the line, and really more importantly to that, they have a second and one and a third and one before they even have to decide about the fourth down with the game on the line in Rams territory, and they they kind of blew it with their best pitch, their ability to run the ball, and their ability to bully you as a defense. Uh, the 49ers sort of got timid at the last second, and they didn't execute well. 
and then of course that last drive was a mess and sandwich in there is dropping a fair catch interception from Matt Stafford. So I, I, I say all that to simply remind people, whether it's green Bay or Kansas city or San Francisco, or you name it, Tampa Bay, you just start going down the list of all the teams that feel either similarly to the Dallas Cowboys or worse because they actually were closer to the dream. Um, it's, it's the nature of the beast. So, so it's a long way of saying, of course, the Cowboys should be very disappointed. Uh, but if you make the playoffs, you're setting yourself up for a real day of reckoning mm -hmm. that the percentages say won't turn out very favorably for you most years. So you dust yourself up off, you make the changes and you get back up on the horse because that's what we all do. It, it seems like, and, and it may be just because we're the Cowboys and because we're quote unquote America's team, whether you want to believe that or not, but you see clock mismanagement, like what Andy Reid did in the KC game, right? With the calling the timeout before he challenged the play. And then even the poor play calling that Tyreek Hill, what was it like the, at the end of the first half that really, you know, they're trying to get in the end zone and Eli Apple comes up to make the stop. It seems like the Cowboys and especially Mike McCarthy's always criticized a lot more um, for clock mismanagement, uh, the same way Jason Garrett was, versus when other coaches make the same mistake, it's they're kind of given a referendum and they're kind of like, you know, it's okay because they're you know a better coach or, per se. Yeah, I, no, I wonder if that's just our position, our spot here as two guys who cover the Dallas Cowboys. I I, I submit if you and I magically uh, you know relocated uh, to to follow the Chicago Bears or the uh, Seattle Seahawks, or you name the team, I bet you we would feel the same way about that situation. And basically what it means, and this is, by the way, this is why I highly recommend uh, to people to follow more than one team mm -hmm. really closely. I'm not saying you'll ever love any team like the Cowboys, but uh, follow a team super closely, read and hear what's being said. Uh, and, and more specifically, um, Notate every single time that coach makes a questionable decision that you don't agree with strategically and that quarterback misses a wide open guy and uh, you're so frustrated. If you do that, obviously what that's called is just a more balanced perspective because I hear all the time that Dak gets nitpicked more than any other quarterback and, and the Cowboys coach gets nitpicked more than any other quarterback. That's true in the cowboy galaxy, but I think if you go over to this place or this place, at least those who have not climbed the mountain. Now, obviously, once you do have a parade and once you do win a Super Bowl like Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid, I would assume you have earned yourself the little bit more benefit of the doubt. But as we've seen with Mike McCarthy, even that runs out. Mm -hmm. And so the Cowboys are an extremely high visibility team. There's no doubt about it. We can't explain it. It's a weird deal where uh, no matter how little they are relevant in January, uh, they are the most relevant team from September to the end of December every year. And it's almost like the drama feeds the drama. So I don't think Mike McCarthy is half as bad at decision-making as your average Cowboy fan does. And I have followed every snap of his uh, coaching career in both cities. Uh, and I don't think Dak Prescott is nearly as bad as some Cowboy fans think, but maybe it's just studying the entire league that allows me that perspective. And honestly, to a person with a real job, 
how would they ever have time to do all that? Right. And so they can either trust that Bob uh, is really putting in the work on the Cincinnati Bengals stuff, or they can say I'm a uh, massive uh, homer and apologist for Mike McCarthy and Dak <laughs> Prescott, which is basically what most people do. So it's fine. I can handle it. It's it's different when it when you actually go through and analyze everything versus you know just yes you, you know using your Twitter fingers to complain about That's Dak right. Prescott not being you know a good quarterback or hundred percent anything of that nature. Um, so going back to our previous conversation, you know, we talked about that Arizona game kind of being a benchmark. Um, at the time, Arizona was I think undefeated. You know, going into that when we were playing New England, and then they ended up losing like set five of their last seven games down the stretch. Yep. Um, you know, we go into, you know, we, we play that game and it's kind of like, all right, like this is a chance to get a higher seed. We win that game. We, in all likelihood, I think are the three seed. Um, do you see a different outcome if the Cowboys had won that game? I know San Francisco was just the worst matchup for the Cowboys. I think everybody's kind of, everyone kind of noticed that the second they kind of backed into the playoffs, um, you know, in week 18 when they beat the Rams. Um, but had the Cowboys played a different opponent, whether it had been Arizona again or even the Rams, do, would you do you see a different outcome, or was was were the Cowboys the worst of the playoff teams? No, I don't think they were the worst at all. But they they not to sidestep the question. I I, I thought the Niners were a real difficult draw. Um, however, I'm positive uh, if they would have played the Rams or if they would have played the Cardinals or any of these other teams, you know, they're going to be tough games. These are really good football teams. And that's, that's one of the issues I see with uh, the current state of the NFC East is that um, it's impossible to have a good perspective on what playoff level competition looks like if you're barely ever playing a playoff team. And um, the 49ers, I remember going into that playoff game and people kept saying, uh, Bob, I don't understand why you're making the 49ers out to be such a big deal. If they're that great, why are they losing seven games on the way to the playoffs? And, and my answer to that was, look, if the Cowboys played in the NFC West, you would see that their easiest divisional game this year, it's all relative, but let's vote. The easiest divisional game the 49ers played would have been home to Seattle. Okay. So right. Russell Wilson at, you know, uh, you know, Santa Clara, wherever they play, at Levi Stadium. That's their easiest divisional game. It's still now, not super would, easy because it's still Russell Wilson. That's my point, is their easiest game, I would argue, is more difficult than the Cowboys' toughest divisional game. Sure. So think in your head, what's the toughest divisional game the Cowboys play this year? At Washington? At Philadelphia? No. At the Giants? I mean... The Cowboys, so so when you play in a division where your most difficult game is still easier than their easiest divisional game, mm -hmm. you can't tell me that it's apples and apples. And so, um, you know, for the Cowboys, I keep coming back to their offense, let them down. And, and that has a number of uh, offshoots. But uh, they 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 be, they were a number one offense in statistics, I guess. If you if you if you believe in uh, just uh, you know gross numbers, uh, but but they just didn't have enough solutions to some of the most basic questions. Now, it's okay to understand that it's not just the Cowboys. Um, for instance, the Kansas City Chiefs have an offense that any one of us 
would trade everything to get. Like uh, if you said right now, give give the entire Cowboys offense and the next three years of draft picks to get the entire Chiefs offense in here, uh, I would make that trade. I would have no problem making that trade. I now have Pat Mahomes. I now have uh, Kelsey and 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 uh, Joe Tooney and and Tyree Kill and all these guys. I am fine. Let's do it. Well, if they are that significant of an upgrade, then why did a three man rush drop eight? Bengals defense in that second half make the Chiefs look completely powerless. Now, was that a fluke? Probably. But did it happen in the highest leverage game of their season at home with an 18-point lead? It absolutely did. And so football is hard. And, and for these elite offenses, what we are seeing is the league is now and it's all cyclical. We've we've been sure, here before. Of course. Yeah. But but the league is now saying we're not blitzing you, man. We are not blitzing you. In fact, if we do, uh, you know, Matthew Stafford is going to burn a cover zero blitz in Tampa Bay at the end of that game to win the game. I, like, I uh, can't believe they left Cooper Cup single. I mean, I'm still two weeks later, and I'm like, why? Like, why would you do yeah, that? Exactly. Todd Bowles is great at what he does, but that one is going to stay on his resume for a while. I, I don't, I don't get that call, and I argue that that might have lost them their season. But and their quarterback, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so, you know, when you look at when you look at it from that perspective, you see the entire league is now saying uh, we're going to rush you with three or four and we're going to drop seven or eight into zones. We're not going to play man. We're not going to blitz you. Uh, you know, the more we go down this road. We're going to try to find positionless defenders who are all very similar. They're not all going to be corners, but they're also not all going to be linebackers. We're going to try to almost find eight safeties who can cover or seven. Mm -hmm. We're going to put them all on the field. We're going to play dime against you. And uh, we're going to try to make the holes in the zone as small as possible with as athletic as possible defenders. And now you, Mr. Offensive Coordinator, who everybody says is the next genius, figure it out. Figure out a way to beat us. Mr. Quarterback, you're going to have to be patient. You're going to have to understand that this is small chunks, but we can't go broke taking a profit. And I just don't understand why the Cowboys didn't have any better answers than they than they did. And that's one thing I really want to dig into here in the offseason in my study is just kind of look at, you know, Dak and this offense against heavy populated zones as the season went on. It happened more and more and more. Now, ironically, as you uh, bring it back to the Cardinals game, and you can definitely see where I can just take any question and, and, and rip for a while. So sorry it. about that. I love it. But but the Cardinals did blitz a lot, and the Cardinals, uh, you know, did try to do some exotic things. But more than anything, I want to go back to let's say the Denver game or the Kansas City game because as you go down the schedule, you see some teams played a lot of man, some mm. teams played no man, some teams blitz, some teams didn't. The Cowboys struggle with all of them, but I do think their biggest struggle was figuring out how to use their weapons in the most efficient way to put drives together consistently uh, against defenses that, for lack of a better term, were good good defenses mm. you know that's very vague and elementary descriptors but i'm going to use it they're good defenses and when you're not playing bad defenses uh they can run any scheme you want and they're going to challenge you and and so we saw aaron Rodgers succumb to a zone from san francisco we saw patrick mahomes succumb to zones against the cincinnati Bengals. we saw dax really struggle against these zones and there just wasn't 
enough solutions built in. And so they asked too much of a quarterback and now he's being too selective back there. And, and uh, then the clock expires. So that's where we are in the NFL. You have figured out how to bring the spread to the NFL. Now we're going to figure out how to slow you down and make you work for everything. And I just thought that Kellen Moore really, really failed in those two January losses to Arizona and to San Francisco. Now you, you may say, well, did Dak fail? Yes. Uh, did Amari Cooper fail? Yes. Did the offensive line fail? Yes. So, so it's not just Kellen Moore, but it's his baby. Uh, I'd like to, I'd like it to be more Mike McCarthy's baby, but let's not get lost in the weeds, but how do you not in that playoff game get CD lamb into the slot? Was it one catch for four yards? Was that the they, they left him outside? They put, put Cedric, Cedric Wilson, Wilson in the slot. There, and it's Cedric Wilson and Dalton Schultz are getting all of your targets in a playoff game. And so you are basically your two most explosive offensive weapons, as you know, CD lamb, Tony Pollard, uh, Amari Cooper, so that's three, but uh, Pollard wasn't used hardly at all. Mm-hmm. C.D. Lamb was used uh, poorly, and uh, you get eliminated because you decided to throw seven-yard passes to Dalton Schultz all day, and it just can't win in the playoffs. So I, I, I'm a little frustrated that something <laughs> so basic derailed them. I think I think we all are, and, and to me it looked like going into the game, I mean, that was the way to attack San Francisco, was that their secondary was their weakest point of their defense, right? Their front seven is amazing when you've got Bosa and Armstead and Arden Key, you know, a guy who's resurrected his career, and then, of yep. course, Fred Warner. But it seemed like outside of Jacuski Tart, they don't really have one of those shutdown corners like a lot of these other teams in the playoffs do, like a Jalen Ramsey or a Yair Alexander. So, you know, you're completely right. Why not utilize that to your advantage and, and get it more one-on-one you know, with Amari Cooper, with C.D. Lamb, and let them make a play. Let your playmakers make a play. Yeah, well, I think we all estimated Fred Warner. Um, Fred Warner, to me, has always been a guy that we all like, and he obviously is paid well and recognized by those. But to those who uh, of us who don't spend, I think it's I think it's pretty pretty revealing how he changes the game from a middle line, but from a Bobby Wagner type perspective. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so um, he's not Micah Parsons. And and so it's important for us to understand what certain linebackers do well and what other linebackers don't, but you can still be a special linebacker. If your number one attribute is uh, you basically help your secondary look better by being so good at zone. Uh, and, and then Fred Warner's zone drops are incredible. He knows right where to be. He knows uh, your tendencies. He, he follows your eyes. And I thought he was a massive game changer in every playoff game that he was in. And, and so now your secondary doesn't have to worry about, you know, these zone beaters in certain spots because they know Fred's got it. Right. Okay. Well, Fred's got it. Now I can cheat to the outside and now you're going to see your favorite guys are bracketed and there's no place to go with the ball. And, and, you know, so, 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 so Warner's great in a similar way to Micah Parsons in the middle of the field, but in a completely different way, because he's not going to be blitzing you hardly ever. He's not going to be using pass rush. He's going to be using uh, his mobility going backwards, but I contend, it's just as game changing in many respects. Oh yeah, for sure. You br- you bring up an interesting point when you talk about, you know, a lot of the blame being on Kellen Moore. And I know you wrote an article in the Athletic, kind of, um, 
in terms of, you know, Jerry Jones, kind of a conundrum, right? Is he too involved? And, and you know, you talked about the hiring process with Mike McCarthy and um, somewhat of an agreement maybe that Kellen Moore, you know, would still retain play calling duties. And even though McCarthy's done it, you know, even when he was in Green Bay, he was a play caller. And he's the one who had control of the entire offense. And, and even though it was one Super Bowl, they were still successful. They were in the playoffs every year. They're winning playoff games, making NFC title games. Are there too many cooks in the kitchen? I mean, to use a really lame analogy, but with, you know, Kellen Moore is this wonderkin that Jerry wanted to retain, didn't want to lose him like he lost Sean Payton, like he lost, um, you know, other folks on the coaching staff. Is that kind of where the issue was or, you know, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, it's, it's, it's largely speculative. So I, I don't, I wasn't in those meetings and they are absolutely not going to reveal to us the details of those Mm -hmm. meetings, but um, I do know Mike McCarthy well enough uh, to remember late in his Green Bay tenure, he said one of his biggest mistakes was giving up play calling and he would never do that again. And of course, he's come here and he's acted like there's nothing he's less interested in than play calling. Um, it's unfair to Kellen Moore. Uh, the guy who installs should be the guy uh, you know on the play sheet. And all that's fine. It just doesn't sound honest um, right. unless you were paid under the under the uh, condition that uh, if you want this Dallas job, well, here's here's the way we're going to frame this. And can you comply by all this? And, and he said, yeah. And, you know, we all make decisions. Uh, you know, when we take a job, there are certain things that they're going to be like, look, you're going to have to work two Saturdays every month. And you're like, oh, well, I guess I want the job. So, right. okay. And so while I'm speculating, um, I guess I don't have a better explanation as to why McCarthy seems so out to lunch on these massive offensive problems. Now I'm sure he's not, but um, there is a, it is a weirdness to his, uh, distance from Kellen Moore. And then if you want to make it really weird, uh, and I don't think this is crazy to connect these dots, everybody on the outside is suggesting until about a month ago that the most likely person to take your job, Mike McCarthy, mm-hmm. if you're unsuccessful, is Kellen Moore. Right. So, so if you're now at work and you're saying, okay, uh, I agreed to this condition where this guy does something I'm really good at, uh, and then you hear in the break room that, hey, did you hear who they're talking about as the next guy to be uh, in your job? It's that same guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, so so you want to make things nice and awkward. And my point to saying all that is uh, I can't swear this is exactly how it's going down this time. But we do have enough evidence to the normal Jerry Jones football operation <laughs> that we know through history, this is how it's happened time and time and time again. And so undercutting your head coach, making him take an entire staff of the previous coach so that there is almost no loyalty uh, amongst his assistants, uh, hiring an offensive coordinator before you hire a head coach in one of the daffiest uh, ownership decisions in football history. I mean, you just keep going down the line of all of these things that we do have documented. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that same guy may have been guilty of tying his coach's hands behind his back, despite that coach 
possibly knowing exactly how to handle this, maybe not, but possibly knowing the answers to many of these questions that your young wonder boy offensive coordinator clearly doesn't know the answers to at this point of his career, which by the way is normal, but uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a frustrating maze of responsibility. The Cowboys are genius at this. That's one of the things from their war room camera on draft Mm -hmm. night is they don't have one guy in there. They've got nine people. And uh, every few years, you know, as well as I do, we find a new pinata, mm-hmm. a new guy to uh, hit with a stick uh, because we've been told it's his fault now that uh, the Cowboys are not, uh, you know, making all your dreams come true. Well, it's Mike McCarthy now. It was Jason Garrett before him. It was Scott Linehan. It was it was uh, Sanjay Lal. It was uh, freaking Frank Pollock. It's Bill Philbin. I mean, it's it's. At, we have been given so many people to blame for the problems with the Cowboys time and time and time again. And let me tell you something, when it's Mike McCarthy gone, we're going to bring in the next guy. And, uh, and, and then we're going to find that it's going to be his turn. And it's never the architect who we blame for the build. And, and I, I, I guess, I guess in my moments of frustration, you can sense that uh, I'm about done uh, falling for the banana in the tailpipe uh, yet again, because uh, uh, it, it, I, I think when you start to see patterns from uh, decades of this, you do see the commonalities. And, uh, and I know it's frustrating to Cowboy fans not to have a easier um, solution to all of this, but, but gosh, at what point do we just say, I've seen this episode before. I know how it ends guys. And the worst thing, it's never going to change, right? I mean, it, it's, you know, Jerry's not relinquishing control anytime soon. I mean, until, right. you know, God forbid, whenever the day is that he, you know, decides to leave this world, it's just going to fall into Steven's hand. Is Steven going to do a better job than Jerry? I mean, who knows, right? We don't know what right. what kind of influence Steven has right now. Um, you know, funny, you mentioned the next guy, and obviously the talk around Dallas and the national media is that it's, you know, Mike McCarthy's a lame duck head coach. It's Sean Payton coming in next year. Right. If you're Mike McCarthy, how, I mean, I mean, first off, is it Super Bowl or bust? I mean, is there any way he keeps his job after this year? And then secondly, how do you, how do you navigate that? Knowing that you're going into a situation where the guy that, that Jerry wanted all along, the guy that's, uh, that our rumor has it, he could have gotten a couple years ago before he hired you is waiting in the wings and waiting for you to make a mistake. I mean, you're walking on eggshells the entire season. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not great. Um, and, and, uh, if you read me, uh, regularly, you'll see that my, my, uh, faith level and McCarthy sorting this out now is, is diminishing uh, as we go. Uh, you know, I, I certainly thought it was a great, great idea to go get somebody who had won and to go, uh, uh, outside the organization and to give it a shot. But now McCarthy is at a spot where, like you said, he's got to feel uh, the clock ticking. He's got to feel the, uh, the, the sword, uh, the sword of uh, Damocles just mm-hmm. sort of hanging there, if you will. <laughs> and, uh, and it's, it's uh, unpleasant. So, you know, my, my thought, my uh, rosy optimism, I suppose might be this. Uh, late in games, uh, sometimes you get an extra down because you realize that I need to go for it on fourth down. I've got nothing to lose. And, and the, we might be at that stage of the game for Mike McCarthy. And the reason that's important to me 
is when you stop protecting a lead and you start attacking, knowing that it's time to, uh, I got nothing to lose. Let me go after it. I'm going to start going for it on every fourth down. That's, that's not to say in game fourth downs. So I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. He goes for it enough. What I'm saying is he <laughs> needs to treat his spot as Dallas Cowboys head coach more as I've got nothing to lose. They're going to fire me if this doesn't go right. So let me take more ownership of every decision and what's the worst that can happen they fire me okay well that's going to happen anyway if this doesn't work so let me take more responsibility of this offense let me uh have more of a vote on ezekiel elliott or tony pollard in the backfield or who's my left guard or who's my right tackle i'm not saying that all that comes from jerry and steven I am saying a lot of it does. And what I've seen these last two years is a very compliant Mike McCarthy, which frankly, I don't recognize from Green Bay. He wasn't compliant all the time. He was brooding. He was uh, insistent that it has to be this way. And it eventually made him uh, feud with a very famous quarterback uh, that, uh, that, that uh, slit his throat. Okay, fine. Uh, but now you're here. And now people think you're a complete buffoon because of uh, all these game management things that get hung on you and all these, you know, uh, this is lack of delivering in a playoff spot. Well, if it either it's on you or it's not. And so if it's not on you, which I guess his press conference was pretty much, I'm not touching the offense. Right. Okay. Well, was, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Why are you even here? Like, so isn't that your specialty? Like that's, you know, <laughs> that's you were the, brought in to help Dak and to help this offense. From Joe Montana with the Chiefs all the way through his time at all these spots with Brett Favre and Aaron Brooks and Aaron Rodgers and all these guys that Mike McCarthy's had a hand in making play great football. If you're not here to sort the offense, why were you hired? And so I would like for Mike McCarthy to go out in a blaze of glory in 2022 and take ownership of this stuff, insist on things, grab the play sheet if you need to, grab your special teams coach if you need to and say, knock it off, make, you know, be the head coach. Sure. And, and I realize that as the Cowboys ownership family does not like hiring head coaches to be the head coach. Uh, that usually puts a friction uh, level between them, but I would say you got the job. People expect this to be your last year, go out with a blaze of glory and, and, and maybe we'll find better results just because we're not uh, going down the exact same path. So I hope that made sense, but I, I just, I, I'm not, I'm not familiar with this docile Mike McCarthy we're getting right now. And frankly, it's almost like a guy serving time before uh, his execution shows <laughs> up uh, on the calendar. And I just, I don't get that. That makes no sense to me. And Sean Payton doesn't seem to be the same type of coach, right? Sean Payton's had a hand, may not, maybe not, you know, later on in his tenure at New Orleans, you know, I, but I feel like early on, I mean, he and Mickey Loomis kind of worked pretty much together to craft that roster and, and bring that roster together. And he had a lot of, say in, in, you know, player personnel decisions and, and, you know, was yep. calling plays and all this. It doesn't seem like he's going to acquiesce to Jerry. And I don't know why Jerry would do the same to him. No, no. It, it, it looks a little like the Parcells uh, situation where, uh, you know, you, you fall in love with an idea. And in the case of Sean Payton, they've wanted this since they hired Jason Garrett. They've always wanted Sean Payton. Mm -hmm. 
which explains the Kellen Moore fascination that uh, they may have convinced themselves that Kellen Moore has a chance to be the next Sean Payton, the guy who gets away, who we regret getting away and chase him for his entire coaching career. And, right. you know, so, so this is all cyclical. Again, the worst thing for anybody following the Cowboys is to put in enough time that you start to see all the patterns and only the names actually change, but, uh, <laughs> but the particular patterns stay very similar. So, so Peyton, uh, yes, was in a partnership with Mickey Loomis. I think over the course of time, it's certainly switched to where Peyton, uh, Mickey Loomis sort of works for Peyton over those right. many years and uh, kind of does his bidding and uh, Peyton is allowed to, uh, to buy more of the groceries um, that will have a shelf life here. Of course. Now, again, Jerry's getting old. Um, I'm in no way do I, uh, do I want to uh, get involved in projecting a man's lifespan, but uh, um, as, as somebody gets older, uh, they may become more docile. They may become more desperate. Uh, there are a number of possibilities as uh, somebody sees their mortality uh, in front of their eyes. So, so we don't know that portion of the recipe. But yes, I, I can see a scenario under which Sean Payton is coaching this team in 2023 or sooner. And, uh, you know, a mid-season change is probably not out of the cards. The Saints are going to want compensation, but again, desperation. Sure. And, uh, and, and, and then, uh, because I've seen this episode before, uh, I know by uh, mid-2025, they'll be uh, looking longingly at uh, the head coach of the, no, oh, I don't know, who do you want him to be, Atlanta or Jacksonville or Miami, but Kellen Moore. <laughs> The uh, Kellen Moore will be in the year 2025 will be the guy that uh, switches to the Sean Payton role. Now that Sean Payton has switched to the Mike McCarthy role and on and on uh, the good times role. It would be way easier if they yeah. just break on through to the other side and uh, and put all this cyclical nonsense to bed with a meaningful January. But uh, one and done uh, with that home disappointment to the 49ers. Uh, has us right back where we always are. Uh, yeah, exactly. As we've been for twenty something years. Um, yep. I know we're we're a little too early to talk free agency and, and draft and stuff, but it feels to me that keeping Dan Quinn was already the home run hit of free agency. The way that he improved the defense, and I think it kind of you know it 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 allows you then to maybe keep a guy like Jaron Curse, uh, who had a you know obviously a great year under him. Just from your initial assessment and, and, and looking at what this team needs, you know, I look at it and I say, all right, obviously linebacker with Van Der Esch probably leaving. Offensive lineman, you can never have too many. And quite frankly, Connor Williams needs to go as much as I love him for playing at Texas. Um, but then is wide receiver another one of those things? I mean, you're going to lose, you're in all likelihood going to lose Cedric Wilson. You're in all likelihood going to lose Michael Gallup. Dalton Schultz is a free agent. I mean, there's a lot of big decisions coming up here in the summer for the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. No, I. I, I feel pretty strongly that you should always be adding wide receivers and uh, they, they uh, will need more. And uh, the Amari Cooper decision even looms to a certain extent, although I don't think I would get carried away on that front. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, now, now the Gallup thing, he might actually be more likely to stay now since uh, he is damaged goods. And, and we do see, uh, that one year prove it deals mm -hmm. are pretty likely for guys coming off ACLs. So um, the chances of keeping Michael Gallup felt about zero until the injury happened to him. And, and that sucks for him, but it might actually benefit the Cowboys in 2022 for having to invest too much at wide receiver. But yeah, I mean, there's enough spots that 
have needs on this team that we will quickly reflect back on 2021 as as that real great opportunity because they had everybody under contract and so now um it's a long list of needs it's a long list of possibilities and the cap is tight and you're paying a quarterback all this money and you know they're 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 in a spot where the conveyor belt needs to keep turning out uh pieces of quality they they've done a nice job and now they're kind of in a pattern where their draft class largely red shirts Mm. and and so they do have a number of guys from the 2021 draft that we're probably going to take out a bubble wrap for the first time in 2022, you know, whether it's your Josh balls or your nation rights or, you know, guys like that, even Jabril Cox to a certain extent. And so some of these pieces can be handled internally with really talented guys that we just haven't seen much of. So it's not all bleak. I have been very pleased with their last couple drafts uh, from that standpoint, but, uh, but yeah, they, they still, they still have obvious spots where they can get much better. And uh, probably the most obvious one after getting their butts kicked in January twice is, is an offensive line that just isn't anywhere close to its reputation right now. Right. Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting and, and we'll talk more, I'm sure, as, as we get closer to, to draft time and free agency. I know we're, we're running out of time here real quickly. Um, we're, we're coming up on the NBA trade, dead, trade deadline. The big question surrounding the Mavericks, Jalen Brunson, Dorian Finney-Smith. What are your thoughts on that? I know Cubans come out recently and has said we want to keep them. You know, Mark Stein came out the other day and said there's no, you know, Dallas doesn't really have any intention of trading them. So we're stuck in this conundrum again. Do you keep the same roster and, and you know, pay Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith in the offseason? Or do you trade them and try to get whatever value you can get? I, I'm always of the of the notion I don't want to lose people for nothing. Right. Um you know, I want to maximize their value, get what I can for them. This roster does need a shakeup, even though they're playing, you know, their best basketball of the season. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are, I totally agree with you that they, they do need to move away from this current roster makeup because it's not good enough. Um, I, I think it's slowly but gradually growing, but that might be just more of two guys, Doncic and Brunson, coming into their own on higher and higher levels each time. And so it kind of brings everything along. I don't know that there's a bunch of other players with full up arrows right now Mm -hmm. that say, boy, I might be missing on something if I pull the plug on A or B or C right now. Uh, I don't let Brunson go at all. Uh, He is unique enough in his skill set that with my bird rights, if I got to go into the tax to keep Brunson I'm keeping Brunson uh now if I can flip him for something even more special yeah we all have prices and and I I would like to think he has great appeal out in the league so uh yeah of course uh your youngest players are also your most valuable pieces and so if I can uh use Brunson to make this a better roster let's do it there ain't no way I'm flipping him because I'm scared of losing him for nothing because in July with bird rights we're keeping him Sure. And it, it might hurt. And of course he would have the right, I suppose, to slip out of here to take less if, if he wants, uh, because, you know, he will be free. So there's a certain amount of risk there, but most guys, um, you know, are happy to stay where they've been, especially if it's for more money. And so, so now Finney Smith, it's a different deal because I do think there are guys in the league like him. However, on this roster, there aren't. 
And so, you know, they would have to find something that uh, can do the enormous amount of dirty work that Finney Smith does. But, uh, you know, there are guys in the league that do that. And so we can't, we can't fall so in love with our own guys all the time that, uh, that uh, there's only one Dorian Finney Smith. Mm -hmm. There, there's more than one. There's lots, uh, but you just have to find them and you have to obviously get them to your roster quickly because this team does have a shortage of dirty work guys. Uh, three and D who can also kill the offensive boards and, and, and just, you know, guard the toughest guy and, 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 and die for the ball and all these things. But we just have to, we just have to understand what we're dealing with there. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to break any new ground by saying this whole thing hinges on the ability of, of KP to stay healthy. Sure. And, once again, just like the Cowboys, we're right back where we always are, right? Because <laughs> another uh, what, another week of knee soreness for what else is new, right? Just when uh, the ball starts going in the right direction, we have to hear about knee soreness again, which is a real deal, and it sucks, and it's probably why he was available in the first place, uh, just because another team is like, we can't play this game for ten years. Let's uh, let's flip it and, and look for something else. You think with his his improvement, especially on the defensive end this year in kids system. I, I, the more and more I think about it, I, I think the Mavericks were at least close thinking about, or at least trying to flip him at the deadline next week. Um, and then yeah. this knee soreness and also Tim Hardaway's injury, I think just kind of put through a wrench into everything. So now it's kind of like, all right, you know what, let's just stick with what we have and reassess this next year. We'll make maybe a minor move here and there, get Dragic on the buyout market and then kind of see what comes up over the summer. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't disagree with you at all. I think that's a, a well-put synopsis of where they are right now. It's a series of, you know, things uh, that are all happening together that uh, kind of put them in a spot where if they could figure out something great, that's awesome. I just don't know what that would be, and I don't know how realistic it is. So you hate to run it back over and over again. I set two goals for this Mavericks team this year, 50 wins and get out of the first round. And those are both sort of still in play. And honestly, 50 wins isn't really an arbitrary number as much as it is. I'd like to get home court in the first round, sure. which, which, you know, is probably unlikely uh, given uh, the current circumstances, but also not impossible. Um, you know, it's they're They're in play. They're a fun team and they are making progress and they are very good. Uh, but, uh, but it does feel like they're probably a major step or two away from being in that top bin where we want them to be. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And then, you know, as we get, as we get into the summer, you know, it, I feel like the Mavs have a chance to get a top four seed, you know, get that home court, especially with the way some of these injuries are happening. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but Bob, I look, I really appreciate you coming on, man. It's always fun. It's always fun chatting with you. Absolutely. I enjoyed very much. Let's do it again soon. Fantastic. One more thing. I know you talked about it on on uh, on the ticket last week. Now that football's over, I know you and the family are starting to find new TV shows to watch, kind of new things to enjoy. My wife and I are trying to find some new stuff. So I, I know you're a big Yellowstone fan, but what else is <laughs> what else is out there? What else do you recommend? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a big Yellowstone fan. I've watched every episode, but it, it's uh, it's irritainment for me. So I just <laughs> I, I just want to say that. But uh, really love, uh, of course, like everybody, love Ozarks. Um, there's a documentary I just watched that I'm obsessed with called The Alpinist on Netflix. We watched that. It's insane. It's it is insane. Ridiculous. Okay, so if you're on that one, then uh, that's great. And then uh, I found myself wandering over to. Uh, 
shows that make me laugh uh, quite a bit recently. So, so I've uh, I've been diving in. I had never went through Always Sunny in Philadelphia and uh, the King of the Hill mm-hmm. uh, because it's so very Texan, and I'm not. And so I'm, uh, I'm enjoying all those things. Uh, Rest and Development is a show that we love. We're, uh, we're Always big. a classic. We're, we're very big uh, Jason Bateman uh, P1s in our house, I guess. Uh, we just think he's great, I guess. And uh, what else are we doing these days? I don't know. I mean, I'll figure it out. But now I'm diving into all these draft prospects. So so uh, aside from uh, aside from uh, my my trips to uh, twenty two minute sitcoms from time to time, <laughs> Goldberg's not bad. Uh, the new season of Curb not bad. So you know I'm just making my way around stuff that makes me laugh. There you go. Hey, love it, man. Thanks, Bob. Appreciate you, buddy. My pleasure. Always fun to have Mr. Bob Sturm on the show. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Metroplex Mania. As always, I'm your host, Sean Avaz Please be sure to subscribe. Uh, via whatever platform you listen to. And until the next episode, talk to you later.